checking out college football on the West Coast. This is Get Off My Pylon, a look at the Pac-12 and more. Part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Here's your host, Matt Zimmer. Welcome to the latest edition of the Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast. This is your host, Matt Zemick. Uh, co-host Alex Blau is uh, in transit. He's catching a plane. And uh, you know, we record this podcast every week on Monday evenings uh, before it goes live at the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network uh, on, on Tuesday. And so, you know, Monday's a Halloween. So, like, my, my uh, mother wants me to take care of trick-or-treating. And so I have to get this episode in the can uh, before the trick-or-treaters come to the door at Casa Zemeck uh, here, here in Phoenix. So uh, an amended schedule uh, without uh, Alex Blau this week. Alex will be back uh, next week. So another interesting week uh, in Western college football in the United States. And you know, we didn't talk about the Mountain West last week. Weren't, weren't any uh, really big stories. Um, we have to know that the Mountain West this season has been a disaster. It's just, it's just been one of those years which has spun sideways for the conference. And the latest examples, you know, San Diego State had risen to the top of the West Division in the Mountain West. And the Aztecs were putting it to Fresno State on a night when Jake Hayner uh, came back for the Bulldogs. Uh, Jake Hayner wasn't able to do anything uh, significant as San Diego State amassed a 28 to 10 lead. So you're thinking, okay, San Diego State really beginning to take charge, be- be- becoming a lot more like the team that we saw last season under Brady Hoke, making the Mountain West Championship game, being the best team in the conference during the 2021 regular season. So those Aztecs showed up. I mean, San Diego State ha- did not have much of an offense the first half of this 2022 season, but San Diego State had a pretty competent-looking offense uh, in the first three quarters of Saturday night's game in the Valley in Fresno. And so you're thinking, oh, San Diego State now has an offense. San Diego State with an 18-point lead. Surely, surely, this is money in the bank. Put it in the deep freeze. Game over. Drive home safely. Uh, 28-10. You know, this is a complete two-way performance from the Aztecs. No. No, it just can't be that simple in the Mountain West this year. This, those are the rules, apparently. Uh, nothing can be done in a, in a relatively straightforward manner. Fresno State scores two touchdowns in a 13-second span in the final minute and a half. So San Diego State botches the onside kick, fails to recover it. Just one of those massive special teams gaffes. You know, one mistake by your hands team uh, on the uh, special teams unit. That's all it can take. Like, you... You fully expect to seal a game uh, when it comes down to an onside kick and you're receiving it. Like that's a position you want to be in. But if you if you bungle the onside kick recovery, well, that can just flip a game uh, 180 degrees, and that's exactly what happened. Jay Kaner, then you know, late game Jay Kaner, clutch Jay Kaner, the guy who beat UCLA last year, the guy who's made so many money plays in his collegiate career, especially for Fresno State. He just throws a, a couple of uh, touchdowns in those final 90 seconds. And uh, what was an easy, you know, 18-point lead, put it away with that defense for Team Tenochtitlan, turns into a shocking, shocking loss in the Valley against Jeff Tedford, Jake Hayner, and the Fresno State Bulldogs. And that was not the only wacky and wild event 
from week nine, we also had San Jose State. San Jose State, roughly, not exactly sure of the number, but like a 24-point favorite, something in that ballpark, 24, 25-point favorite over Nevada. Uh, you know, a very bad Nevada team. Like Nevada and Colorado State were pay- basically played a pillow fight on, on relatively equal equal terms. And if, if you're on equal terms with Colorado State this season, you're not a very good football team. Yet, uh, San Jose State uh, really just f- failed to show up for this game in the first half. And early in the third quarter, Nevada had a 21-7 lead over the Spartans. Um, you know, just an absolutely shocking turn of events. Now, San Jose State was able to rally. Um, you know, there were some weird events in this game. Siobhan Cordero, um, the, the San Jose State quarterback, the transfer from Hawaii, fumbled deep in his own territory. So that led to seven of, of Nevada's early points. And then Nevada uh, converted uh, a third and 15 with a 23-yard run uh, to score a second touchdown. Wild stuff. You know, really unexpected uh, plot twists in this game that led uh, to Nevada gaining a 21-7 lead. And it was then that San, San Jose State faced, you know, its moment of truth. You know, do we dig in? Do we rescue this game? Do we salvage this game in our fight uh, to win the Mountain West's West Division? Or do we just let this uh, this moment slip away from us? And, of course, San Jose State dealing with the death of a teammate. That's why it didn't play uh, the previous week. So you, you can certainly sense that there, there were very heavy hearts. And, it, and still, one week later, like, yes, it makes sense that it was hard for everyone to play that ball game. So could this team gather itself uh, against, you know, playing poorly against a bad opponent, 25 minutes left, you know, 10 minutes left in the third quarter, 25 minutes left in the game. Could it rescue that game? Could it keep its season on track? The answer was yes. So the, the Spartans basically got down to business on offense, scored on their next few possessions to tie the game uh, at, uh, eventually at, tw- at uh, 28 apiece. And then we're able to score the go-ahead touchdown uh, with one minute, 13 seconds left. So a, a, a brave rally by San Jose State uh, to avoid what would have been a horrendous loss to Nevada. So the Mountain West, you know, we didn't talk about it last week, gave us some really, really interesting games. And it really, the Mountain West carried the late night window because like San, Stanford, UCLA, that game was put to bed. Early in the second quarter, that, that was uh, an easy romp for the Bruins, uh, quickly bouncing back from their uh, loss to Oregon against a Stanford team that just didn't show up. And, you know, Tanner McKee, he's going to get drafted in a pretty decent position. And, of course, we have the precedent of Davis Mills, you know, doing a decent job for the Houston Texans. I mean, he didn't have a good game against uh, the Tennessee Titans this past weekend. But uh, on balance, he's been all right. You know, he's, he's done – he's certainly done better than uh, – Trevor Lawrence has for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's done better than Trey Lance has with the, with the 49ers. Uh, done better than Mac Jones is doing right now uh, with the New England Patriots. Um, you know, Davis Mills has had a decent NFL career to this point. And so you know, with that in mind, Tanner McKee of Stanford, you know, probably going to land. He's not going to be any worse in terms of his draft selection than Davis Mills. Davis Mills was uh, taken, uh, you know, like a top 75 pick or thereabouts. Tanner McKee probably is going to do even better. But even with that that promising prospect at quarterback, McKee has no help. Uh, offensive line just isn't what it used to be for Stanford. I mean, if you put Tanner McKee 
in the position that Kevin Hogan had uh, on David Shaw's great Rose Bowl teams uh, uh, several years ago, you know, you would have something really special. But Tanner McKee does not have that offensive line. He does not have the big boy receivers that that Stanford has had in recent years. And you also don't have uh, EJ Smith. You know, he's been injured. He's been out. So you don't have, you know, a Bryce Love or a Christian McCaffrey or a Toby Gerhardt, you know, all of the second place Heisman finishers that Stanford had in previous years at running back under David Shaw. So Stanford wiped out by UCLA. And so anyway, the Mountain West delivered a lot of theater and a lot of entertainment uh, in week nine. So that was kind of different. And, and, you know, in the Pac-12, it was the favorites taking care of business. Like you didn't see uh, the big upset. You have not seen the big upset in the Pac-12 this season. Chaos and parody, which are normally part of the Pac-12 landscape, not very much in evidence this year, you have a top four, USC, Utah, UCLA, and especially first place Oregon, which has separated itself from the pack. That's not how it normally works in the Pac-12. But this year, very much uh, a, a formidable elite top four, which is fending off upset bids. And uh, in terms of you know how we talk about these upset bids, there were two very intriguing uh, games this past weekend in which there were two teams vulnerable to an upset. Like you would, you looked at the situation and you said, Oh, this could get really interesting uh, for these two teams. Uh, but Utah and USC were able to find answers on the road against, you know, talented opponents, Washington state talented on defense, Arizona, more talented on offense. Uh, but both of those uh, home underdogs really had a chance uh, to be a nuisance for uh, Utah and USC, respectively, because of the injury situations uh, that the uh, the Trojans and the Utes were dealing with. So let's start with Utah, because that was a Thursday game last week in week nine. Uh, so right before the game, it became revealed, uh, it was revealed that Cam Rising, starting quarterback for Utah, was not going to play. Now, he was practicing. I mean, there was the expectation that he was going to play, but then we got to, you know, within an hour before kickoff and the news made the rounds and everyone was surprised. Utah beat riders, uh, the, the Fox sports one uh, television crew, you know, which was very unhappy as you could imagine, like they were not prepared in advance for this. Um, Kyle Whittingham, you know, I don't think he knew that uh, Cam rising was not going to play, you know, on like on Tuesday, 48 hours before the game. Um, but anyway, so this caught everyone by surprise. So Rising's, Rising's knee uh, was not uh, fully healthy. And of course, you know, Utah had a bye week or an off week, I should say. And uh, both Utah and Washington State had, you know, 11 days off uh, to prepare for this Thursday night game. So in college, they actually do give you the week off before you play a Thursday night game. One wonders why the NFL uh, can't do that simple thing. But anyway, Utah did have a little extra time off. That made it even more surprising that Cam Rising was not able to play. And, of course, that's the big story, right? Your, your, your top quarterback, the quarterback that led you to the Pac-12 championship and a Rose Bowl uh, appearance and, and who played very well in that Rose Bowl against Ohio State. Well, when he goes down and you have to turn to your backup walk-on quarterback, Bryson Barnes, uh, like that was an emergency. That was a crisis, a legitimate crisis for Utah football. Now it should be said that Bryson Barnes, you know, came into that Rose Bowl 
last year because Rising did get hurt. Uh, Bryson Barnes did play a little bit in that Rose Bowl. And one has to think that that little moment of high-pressure uh, exposure for Bryson Barnes, that really helped him out going into Pullman uh, for this game when he was the emergency starter, named at the last minute for this game against Washington State. But it's not as though if you are a Utah fan, you were feeling supremely confident, like, oh, we got this, because Tavion Thomas was also out at running back. Micah Bernard was also out at running back. So Utah was missing its best running backs, plural, in addition to its starting quarterback. And let's remember Brant Queefy, the, the, the elite tight end, he's not in there. Um, so Utah was missing that piece. And then uh, in the fourth quarter of this game, Utah-Washington State, Dalton Kincaid, the same guy who torched USC, 16 catches on 16 targets from Cam Rising, was an absolute beast. So he gets injured in the fourth quarter. So with, with, even when the game was, was close and Utah was nursing uh, a one-possession lead in the fourth quarter, you're still thinking, oh, this could get away from Utah because without Kincaid, like you have no passing game. Washington State can focus on stopping the run. Uh, you know, So everything was put on the Utah defense in this game. Utah defense needed to be great, and the Utah defense has not been great this season. Gave up 42 points uh, to USC and uh, also gave up 42 points. Well, not 42. The seven were on a fumble uh, return for a touchdown, but still gave up 35 points and generally got shredded by Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Zach Charbonnet, and the rest of the UCLA Bruins. Didn't really play well in week one against Anthony Richardson and the Florida Gators. Didn't give up, you know, 42 points, but still did, did not get key stops against the Florida Gators in that particular loss. So a lot of pressure on this Utah defense uh, to finally deliver the goods, and it and it managed to hold up. You know, Utah was able to get the late stops against Cam Ward and the rest of a struggling Washington State offense, which really has been one of the big disappointments in the Pac-12. And it's it's not, you know, it's not mostly on Cam Ward, but certainly a good chunk of it. Like you're still the guy, you're still the quarterback, you're still the leader, you still have to find a way to make some plays. But you know, the the number one reason why Washington State's offense is struggling this year and did struggle against Utah and has generally just failed to make the grade this season, it's the offensive line. And Abraham Lucas, like he's doing a great job with, with a, a former Pac-12 coach or Pac-10 coach, as it were, Pete Carroll. Uh, Abe Lucas is doing a great job for the Seattle Seahawks, giving them a strong presence on the offensive line. And, you know, one of the stories of the NFL this year is how well the Seahawks nailed their draft picks. And Abe Lucas of Washington State is a very big part of that. So Washington State has not been able to find replacements for Abe Lucas for other personnel that they lost along the offensive front. And so that offensive line has been Swiss cheese. It's been a sieve. And Cam Ward, um, you know, his completion percentage was terrific, but he was basically just throwing wide receiver screens almost every other play. And defenses are, are, are sniffing it out. They're reading it. And the Cougars don't have like uh, any other options. Uh, they, they don't have a, a different scheme. They don't have a different style to go to. And Utah was able to trap them. Utah was able to contain the Cougars and dig out a 21-17 win. And it just shows the championship culture of Utah, which, you know, has really 
come through the past few weeks. We didn't see it in the first half of the season, not at Florida, not at UCLA, but against USC, being down 14, getting off the mat against the Trojans, uh, and then this really gritty win without Cam Rising, without Tavion Thomas, without Micah Bernard, without Dalton Kincaid in the fourth quarter, and of course without Grant Queefe, uh for the whole game. Like that, that is when you you see what a winning culture looks like for Utah. All right, more on the Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network in a little bit. But first, college football fans, hey, big games. We're, we've arrived at the month of November, so big games are upon us. Tennessee, Georgia, you know, the other really big showdowns, you know, just, just around the corner. Alabama LSU Nick Saban against Brian Kelly that's that's going to be a big deal uh as well Clemson Notre Dame you know lot, lots of brand name games that are coming uh, along in the month of November and of course you know we're, we're uh, going to have the rivalry games you know the classic games on Thanksgiving weekend Ohio State Michigan Notre Dame USC and on and on and on uh the, the big uh, showdown Saturday in the Pac-12 which we're going to talk about in a bit uh, with Utah at Oregon, USC at UCLA, you know, so November 19th is a date you're going to circle. So all these big games, you want tickets at the best price. You want tickets that you can buy quickly and securely online. So where do you want to go? You want to go to Ticket Smarter, which has partnered with 100 universities, 24 conferences, you know, and the FBS and the FCS. They've partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner. So Ticket Smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of college football live. So purchase those tickets quickly, securely, and you know, you want to get an affordable deal too. You want to get the best prices on the secondary market with the Ticket Smarter mobile app or at ticketsmarter.com. And we have an additional offer for those listening here on College Great Iron Coast to Coast. Take 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22 for 5% off your order of 100 bucks or more. And it's not a one-time offer. It's for as many times as you want to use this season for tickets to the biggest games in college football, the biggest games in your corner of the country. So check out the selections and pricing now with Ticket Smarter, uh, And remember our code GRIDIRON22. Think smarter at Ticket Smarter. So uh, we talked on the other side of the ad break about Utah fighting through a lot of high-end injuries. You know, it's not just injuries. It's not just being short on bodies. These were the best players. These were the best players on Utah's offense. So Utah was not only shorthanded, but shorthanded at critical positions, losing prime players that it depends on for offensive production. USC, for its game at Arizona, was in a very similar spot, and but – USC was not just banged up on offense. It was also banged up on defense. So here were the players who are missing. Now, let's just set up the scene first. Going into this game, you know, we knew that Eric Gentry got injured late against Utah. We knew that Jordan Addison got injured late in the Utah game as well. So, like, the two of them and also linebacker Raylan Goforth, like, they were all, uh, very you know, questionable for this game. And so the idea that none of them would play – not really that much of a surprise because, you know, Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch, uh, they want to get their prime players healthy for the UCLA showdown. 
on November 19th. So you sit him against Arizona thinking that you can win with your other guys. You know, it makes sense. And it was not a shocker that uh, none of those guys, Addison, Gentry, Goforth, uh, were unable to play. Not a surprise to, to anyone who's been following USC closely. But right before the game, a couple of uh, explosions, you know, in terms of uh, impact to the USC roster. One was that Mario Williams uh, was ruled out. Uh, he, Lincoln Riley said later that he uh, just endured a tweak, a little, little muscle tweak. Um, you know, just a, a little something happened that, you know, knocked him off schedule and you don't want to chance it when something like that happens. So Mario Williams was not playing. So that means USC was without its two best receivers. Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, they're the two best receivers on the Trojans. So the, the USC had to go to battle without them. And the other really big late injury announcement was that Andrew Voorhees, USC's best offensive lineman, its best NFL prospect on the offensive front, he was going to be out. So that that was a, a really uh, ominous turn of events for USC. And so the, the Trojans had to reshuffle their offensive line assignments. Uh, Mason Murphy was uh, roughed up by Fresno State. He had a, he had a pretty tough game uh, against Fresno State in Week Three when you know Cortland Ford was hurt, Bobby Haskins got slightly hurt, and they and the staff tried to go with Mason Murphy at left tackle. Didn't work out well against Fresno State back in Week Three. That was September seventeenth, um, but they had to call upon him in this game uh, with with the Voorhees injury, and they moved Mason Murphy to right tackle. So, you know, you don't want Mason Murphy handling the Caleb Williams blind side at left tackle. Bobby Haskins started this game at left tackle. They slotted Mason Murphy over to right tackle, and they moved the other assignments around with Justin Dietrich and Jonah Monheim uh, along the offensive front. So reshuffled assignments, Mason Murphy being asked to carry the load at right tackle. How was this all going to work out without Andrew Voorhees? The USC was minus all these big-time offensive players. I mean, Addison, Mario Williams, Voorhees, three elite players. You know, the USC will need those players, all three of them against UCLA and also against Notre Dame's defense uh, the, a week later. And, and in the Pac-12 championship game, like, USC's not winning those games, certainly not against UCLA, uh, if at least two of those three players are out. You know, maybe you can win – if, if one of the two receivers are missing, but like you certainly need one of those two receivers on the field, Addison or Mario Williams, and you definitely need Andrew Voorhees uh, to spearhead the effort on the offensive line. So in this Arizona game, though, all three were out and USC was dealing with that. And then the Eric Gentry injury, the Raylan Goforth injury. So linebacker was threadbare. Linebacker was extremely thin. And you also had the late note that Corey Foreman, you know, whom USC fans are desperately wanting to see perform and live up to that really very high recruiting ranking that he had when Clay Helson and Dante Williams brought him into the program. Yep, he was out with an injury and, and you know, coming off uh, an off week, that, that was not something that people expected. So this was a really thin team, offense and defense. And if you watch the game, and of course it was on Pat 12 Network, so not many people did, but uh, you had, Alex Grinch was using a lot of funky formations and alignments. He he went to a four safety look at one point. He, a lot of dime, a lot of dime packages. You know, lots of defensive backs, corners and safeties loading the field. USC was playing against the pass pretty much the whole game. 
And that was the right approach, right? Because Arizona doesn't have a, a brilliant, dominant running game. And, and the Arizona offense is at its best when it's throwing haymakers down the field with Jaden Delora uh, throwing the ball to his collection of receivers. And they were making highlight reel catches uh, for much of the game. And uh, now I know a, a lot of this game and why it was so close was related to, you know, USC just struggling uh, to keep up with Arizona's receivers and missing a lot of tackles uh, in the open field and the pass rush not always getting home to Jaden Delora. There were times when USC could have gotten sacks but didn't because Jaden Delora is a good player and he's slippery, a lot like Caleb Williams. So a lot of different reasons why Arizona was able to, you know, move the ball and, 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 and score a bunch. But, you know, the, the, the lack of elite linebackers, the lack of healthy linebackers, you know, Shane Lees was playing, but, you know, he's still – uh, not 100% physically. So the, there, there, were, there were a lot of deficits uh, for USC, USC in this game, and that's one reason why Alex Grinch was flooding the field with defensive backs. Um, like, not only was Arizona Arizona's best chance in this game to throw the ball deep, hit, hit long balls, and, and, and score uh, in bunches, but also because you know, Arizona's not built to just run the ball three yards in the cloud of dust or even four yards in the cloud of dust. If the Wildcats have to slowly dink and dunk and work their way down the field, like that's not how they want to operate. They want to hit the big play. Uh, they scored 39 uh, earlier in, in October against Washington. Like they, they have an offense that's capable of lighting up the scoreboard. And so the, the Grinch played his cards well in terms of, playing the pass. It's, that's something he didn't do against Utah, and we saw the result, that Grinch was focused on stopping the Utah running game. Utah offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig, though, went to the pass and stuck with it, and, and Grinch did not make that fundamental adjustment. So in many ways, that game prepared Grinch for this contest against Arizona, and while the end result was Arizona scoring 37, well, let's keep this in perspective. Scoring 37 is better for you from USC's perspective than scoring 43 and that that one touchdown less well that mattered usc 45 arizona 37 it, it once again was a game where you know hey if the usc offense scores over 40 points the defense doesn't have to be spectacular it just has to make enough plays and one of those plays was made by bryson shaw now who's bryson shaw he's a transfer from ohio state but he uh has been playing th this season very sparingly Due to an injury, he got a little a bit of special teams work, but he hasn't been in there regularly at safety. Hardly any snaps. Well, the, well he's finally recovered uh, from his injury, and so he was able to get a lot of snaps. And guess what? He he gets he comes up with a second half interception of Jaden Delora, which enables USC to score a touchdown and build a 31-16 lead. Now Arizona, of course, responded with 13 quick points to make the game 31-29. So you might think, well, okay, that interception really didn't turn out to be that big. Uh, here's, the, here's the counterpoint there. Because USC had a 15-point lead at one point, the fact that it squandered most of that lead with Arizona's quick 13-0 run, uh, it's, it meant that USC was able to play, you know, seven really bad minutes of football and not pay a price. You know, if Shaw doesn't make that pick and USC doesn't get the 15-point lead, then Arizona's 13-point run means that the Wildcats are leading instead of trailing by two. And it also merits saying that USC stopped a two-point play 
in this game, unlike the Utah game. So that was like one of those handful of plays that the USC defense has to make, you know, when it's shorthanded, when it's beaten up, that 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 USC defense uh, made some stands in the red zone. Like, this is what we expected the season to be like, folks, uh, for USC. Not playing great on defense, but as long as the defense makes a handful of plays, literally a handful of plays, like just five impact plays, in key high leverage moments, that's going to be enough for the offense. It's going to be enough for Caleb Williams, who was able to distribute the ball to his other receivers with Mario uh, Williams and Jordan Addison out. Uh, Taj Washington had over 100 yards receiving. Kyle Ford had over 100 yards receiving. Uh, Williams was spreading the ball to everybody, and it, it was good enough for a, a, a big throwing day, over 400 yards, five touchdown passes, USC scores 45, and frankly, it should have been more. Brendan Rice dropped a touchdown pass in the end zone. Dennis Lynch, who had a bad game as kicker, he missed a 39-yard field goal. And, of course, Pac-12 refs strike again. We don't need to get into the, into the weeds on this one, but just you've probably heard about that awful uh, mangled situation at the very end of the first half when USC got a first down deep in Arizona territory was about to spike the ball, kick a very short chip shot field goal, add three points to the total. The clock starts before the ball was marked ready for play by the umpires. Clock runs out uh, with the ref standing over the ball, uh, reminiscent of the Arizona State-Wisconsin game from uh, around 2013-2014. Uh, if any of you remember that game in Tempe, that was an ESPN game. Um, very similar situation there. So obviously there was a game administration error and there's no, there's zero time showing on the clock. You would think that the Pac-12 refs would call up to the booth, would make sure that this game management clock uh, administration error gets rectified. No, they didn't. And that's really the main point on this. You know, without spending too much time on it, mistakes are going to happen. All right. Clock, the, the clock runs out or the clock runs more than it should. All right. So you call up to the booth. You get on the horn, you, you communicate with the other game administration personnel in the press box, and you fix the problem. That did not happen. And so when when that kind of thing occurs, when uh, you know that something's wrong and you just don't bother to fix it, like you don't care about your job, like that's what allows conspiracy theories about USC being punished, you know, for leaving the Pac-12. That's how conspiracy theories are allowed to fester and germinate and, and just, you know, they continue to have a shelf life when something like that happens. And that's the real thing. It's not that the, the, the refs in real time uh, failed to uh, administer the game properly. It's that they didn't correct it. Like they knew something was wrong and they didn't correct it. That's the thing about Pac-12 refs. But anyway, circling back to the USC offense. So USC should have had a field goal at the end of the first half, missed a 39 yarder, drops a touchdown pass. This offense should have scored over 55 points. All right. I mean, cheated out of three and then two two USC mistakes, a missed kick and a dropped touchdown pass cost uh, a total of seven more points. This offense should have had uh, over uh, at least 55, if not more. And so this was without Andrew Voorhees. This was without Mario Williams. This was without Jordan Addison. Not a bad job by Lincoln Riley in the offense. Not a bad job by Caleb Williams. Not a bad job by offensive line coach. Josh Henson uh, shuff, reshuffling the line with the with Voorhees out and getting things done. And one other thing about this USC offensive line, 
Bobby Haskins, who we mentioned, was the starting left tackle while Mason Murphy was kicked over to right tackle. Uh, Bobby Haskins gets hurt midway through the second half. Cortland Ford, who had barely played over the past month or so, he steps in at left tackle, and he was solid in the fourth quarter when USC was able to pound the ball with Travis Dye and the ground game was able to get a touchdown to push the lead to 45-29, you know, providing the final extra margin uh, of victory after Arizona got the late uh, eight points uh, and then attempted a, a late onside kick, which USC recovered. So Cortland Ford back in the saddle, he might be the starter for this upcoming week uh, against Cal. So, in week nine, what did you see, folks? What did you see? You saw Utah and USC playing through a lot of high-end, very important injuries and still finding ways to win on the road. So it's all part of a Pac-12 season in 2022 where the top teams are not getting ambushed this time. Uh, you know, the, the losses of the top teams are against each other. You're not seeing the, the top teams step on a rake. Now, Oregon almost did it against Washington State, but rallied with, you know, those 20 points in the last four minutes behind Bo Nix, who's having an amazing season. Definitely proved me wrong uh, in terms of how well I thought he would play. He's vastly exceeded my expectations. So Oregon, USC, Utah, UCLA, all taking care of business this season in the Pac-12. All right, guys. So, hey, the college football season is not just underway. College football season is about two-thirds over gotten through September and October. Now we have November followed by the conference championship games. And before you know it, it's going to be bowl season. So lots of interesting games to bet on. And bet us has been a pioneer in the sports book industry for over 25 years, thriving and paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely. That's just the way you want it, right? Well, we want you to go to betus.com and take advantage of an offer we have on our shows from college gridiron coast to coast you'll receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in, get an additional $125 to play with. Put $200 in, you get $250, and so on. You can do the math there. So with BetUS, you also have the NFL, got the World Series this week, NBA, NHL, college basketball starts next week, so... You know when college basketball gets going, like you have dozens of games <laughs> every night to bet on. So so much action to be had. So whether you're a college football junkie in particular, you're kind of like a college football specialist, or you just want anything on the sports map, go to BetUS all season long. So go to BETUS.com. And remember, our 125% match bonus for initial signups with our code Coast 2-2. Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. All right. So as we look ahead to week 10 uh, in the Pac-12, um, you know, no, no really, really big uh showdowns. Now there is a an interesting Friday night game, Oregon State at Washington. And you know, that, there's a natural point of intrigue here because Jonathan Smith, as you might know if you study the Pac-12 closely. He was the offensive coordinator for Chris Peterson at the University of Washington in 2016 when the Huskies made the college football playoff. And, of course, that's the last time a Pac-12 team has made the college football playoff. Uh, UW went to the Peach Bowl in the semis, uh, played a very good defensive game, but the offense was dominated 
by Nick Saban and Alabama. Uh, that is that that's the la- that semifinal in the Peach Bowl was the last college football playoff game uh, in which a Pac-12 team was involved. So now Jonathan Smith goes back to Montlake. He goes back to Seattle to play Washington in a Friday night game. And, you know, if you've been following our Get Off My Pile on College Football podcast this year, you know that, you know, Oregon State has one of the best defenses in the Pac-12 at uh, Trent Bray, defensive coordinator at Oregon State. He's been the best defensive coordinator uh, in the conference, hands down. Uh, you could say that uh, Kenny Dillingham of Oregon has probably been the best offensive coordinator. I mean, you could also say Lincoln Riley, but, you know, Lincoln Riley is kind of the head coach who also calls plays. In terms of like a set-aside coordinator who's separate from the head coach, uh, Dillingham has been pulling in very high marks. Uh, and he's also refuted me. You know, I didn't think that he or Bo Nix uh, would perform especially well this season. So I'm going to take the L there. You know, you have to publicly admit when you're wrong in this business. So Dillingham has refuted me thoroughly. Uh, so, but Trent Bray has been the best defensive coordinator in the Pac-12. And he goes up against Michael Penix, Kalen DeBoer, and that high-flying Washington passing attack, which, you know, on the road, not, not, you know, consistent, uh, but at home, like the, the Washington's been a flying death machine. Uh, Washington has been able to score uh, 39 or more points uh, in each of its home games this season. So Oregon State, uh, you know, the, the challenge is there for the Beavers. Can they take the fight to Penix, DeBoer, and the Husky passing game in Seattle? Uh, and I think they can. I think they're, I think Oregon State is capable of mucking it up like or, you know, or if you, if you can hold Caleb Williams and the USC offense to 17 points, you can definitely hold Michael Penix and Washington to the same. Now, of course, the problem for Oregon State in this game, as you well know, it's quarterback. You know, the the the, the Oregon State passing attack, Oregon State's quarterback play has really been the thing that's kept the Beavers from being a much better team. Oregon State is, you know, to a certain extent, it is the Pac-12's version of Iowa. You have this great roster except for that one really, really important position known as the quarterback. So can Oregon State find enough offense? I mean, obviously, if you're an Oregon State fan, your ideal script for this game is getting big turnovers, you know, that set up short fields or or even like get a pick six, just scoring directly. That's how you'd love the, the game to go. But if Washington doesn't hand Oregon State any turnovers or really good field position with, you know, bad punts or other things, uh, in special teams, and it's it's going to be up to Oregon State to you know can this offense drive seventy five yards against a very vulnerable Washington defense. It's not as though Washington has a great defense, but you know is can Oregon State's offense take advantage of this matchup and this situation? So you really do have a contrast in styles. You have the great uh, you know all defense no offense Oregon State Beavers, and you have the great all offense no defense. Washington Huskies. So that's a very interesting game on Friday night. I'm definitely going to watch it. Um, if the World Series is, uh, you know, the World Series game three, as we're recording this podcast, is on the verge of being postponed by rain, uh, assuming it is postponed by rain, then uh, that means that Friday is going to become a travel day instead of, you know, originally having game six. So if you're listening to this podcast later in the week, uh, and if if indeed we have uh, a Monday game three postponement, well, that means game uh, that means Friday does not have a game. Game six being pushed to Saturday in Houston, so that means it's going to be much easier for you to watch Oregon State and Washington 
little Friday night football action in the Pac-12. That that's really the the especially attractive game of week 10. The other game to highlight in the Pac-12 is UCLA at Arizona State. Now, you'll you'll say that, you know, hey, Arizona State has a bad record, multiple games under 500. It's going to be very hard for the Sun Devils uh to make a bowl game. All, all true. Uh but the thing that has changed with Arizona State is that interim head coach Sean Aguano, he made the right choice. He went with Trenton Borgett as his starting quarterback this past weekend against Colorado. Now, let's uh, go back through the past uh, month of Arizona State football. Uh, Emory Jones suffers a concussion in the early October game against the Washington Huskies. Borgett comes off the bench, lights it up, puts 45 points on the board. Uh, and so Arizona State beats Washington, but with, with an explosive offense under Trenton Borgett. Emory Jones heals up. He's medically cleared to play after suffering his concussion. So Aguano puts him back in as the starting quarterback against Stanford. Arizona State loses 15-14. Stanford doesn't score a touchdown, but it beats Arizona State. Emory Jones manages only 14 points. Not what Arizona State was hoping for. Not a good performance by the offense as a whole. So moving forward into the Colorado game, you know, there was a lot of speculation all week leading up to kickoff, which, which guy would Aguano choose. And, you know, in practices leading up to that game, uh, Sun Devil insiders that I follow on Twitter, uh, they were saying, you know, Borgett's completing the passes. Like he looks sharper. He looks like the more polished guy. So you're, you're thinking, okay, Sean Aguano, like the, you, the the choice really should be obvious for you here. You should be going with Trenton Borgett uh, over Emory Jones. That's exactly what Aguano does. And guess what? Arizona State puts 42 points on Colorado. You know, math, physics, science. Sometimes, sometimes sports are not that hard to explain. Sometimes it's not hard to decipher. Sometimes this is not, you know, uh, trigonometry or, or advanced algebra. Sometimes it's really just two plus two equals four, baby. And that's what uh, we have with Arizona State. So UCLA at Arizona State, night game in Tempe, Sun Devil Stadium in week 10. And so UCLA, much better team, right? But is this the same Arizona State team that we've had for most of the year? Because now you have Trenton Borgett. He scored at least 42 points in each of his two games uh, with the Sun Devils. So... This might now be a, a high-level offense that's that can really expose UCLA's flawed defense. So this game might be m- much more of a test for UCLA uh, than than uh, many people previously thought. I mean, if you're UCLA, you're going darn like, why couldn't Arizona State have waited to uh, make this quarterback change another week? Like, you know, if if, if we could just get at Emory Jones, uh, you know, this this uh, assignment going into Tempe would be a lot easier. But now with Borgett, I mean, it might still be easy for UCLA. And, of course, DTR, Zach Charbonnet, that offense is still very likely to light up uh, Arizona State's defense, you know, which did allow 34 points to Colorado. If you're allowing 34 points to Colorado, your defense has problems. Uh, so UCLA is still likely to win this game. But if uh, UCLA's defense gets absolutely torched by the Sun Devils, uh, that game could get very interesting. So that is that is really the uh, the the source of intrigue on Saturday uh, in Week Ten 
uh, in the Pac-12. The other games uh, figure to be uh, wipeouts, uh, especially Arizona at Utah, uh, Cal at USC, Oregon at Colorado. Like that, that could be a 50-point game. Um, we have Washington State at Stanford. That game figures to be close, but you know, two teams very much struggling right now. Uh, the obvious significance there is that the winner likely to go to a bowl, the loser uh, either, if not unlikely to go to a bowl, certainly in trouble in terms of a bowl bid. Well, hey, folks, uh, that's really the overview of the Pac-12 for Week 10. The big story in the conference is that you know we could have a showdown Saturday on November 19th, USC at UCLA, Utah at Oregon. If, if those four teams do not trip up in the next few weeks, uh, you know, then those two games are basically going to be semifinals. They're going to be play-in games for the Pac-12 championship game uh, on on December 2nd in Las Vegas. So, you know, we, we're definitely hoping out here in the West that November 19th becomes a mega day with those two gargantuan battles, one in Eugene, one in Pasadena. Wouldn't that be really special for the Pac-12? So, like, that's the, that's the larger overview of the league. Uh, having you know set the table for week 10 and having reviewed week nine we're all looking ahead to november 19th hoping that that day is going to be something really special all eyes will be on the pac-12 if those two games uh remain as big as they currently appear to be right now so this is the get off my pile on college football podcast we're part of the college gridiron uh coast to coast podcast network you want to check out all your favorite podcasts uh, under the College Gridiron Coast to Coast umbrella, whether it's Mark Rogers' Big Ten Paradigm, Patrick Netherton's Pigskin and Bird Ends, you know, that's Alex Blau's favorite. Like, that's his favorite uh, non get off my pylon uh, podcast uh, in, in the College Gridiron Coast to Coast network. We also have Tyler Jones' Big 12 breakdown, you know, as TCU remains unbeaten with offensive coordinator Garrett Riley, Lincoln Riley's younger brother. That is a heck of a story. Uh, for the Horned Frogs, Max Duggan, very much in the Heisman Trophy race, as long as TCU keeps winning. So you want to follow, follow Tyler Jones and his Big 12 breakdown for continuing coverage of the TCU story and all other things uh, in the world of Big 12 football. Uh, you have Jason Powers and the uh, Florida Football Insiders podcast, and you have Florida State and Miami coming up. So you know that Jason Powers is going to be all over that game between the Seminoles and the Canes. You want to get uh, your FSU Miami fix at the Florida Football Insiders podcast. You have Yards and Stripes, and we have Air Force Army. So, woo-woo, another Commander-in-Chief's trophy game this week. Sound the siren, uh, Army-Navy in December, but November is for Air Force and Army playing it early in the month, as they always do. Uh, so follow Yards and Stripes for complete Air Force Army coverage. Um, and then we have our other offerings as well. Uh, for College Gridiron Coast to Coast. So you want to go to Red Circle, uh, you can get the RSS feed there. When an episode drops, it's there at Red Circle. You can just quickly uh, click and play. Very easy for you. You can also listen to College Gridiron Coast to Coast podcasts at Apple, at Google, at Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So this is Matt Zenick. We'll have Alex Blau back next week. Uh, for more on the Pac-12 and the Mountain West, Western College football, thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast.